Okay, dear saints, um, I'm so happy that I could be with uh, saints in New York City and New Jersey and whoever else is in that area, especially, and whoever's watching. But I just want to say that I love the church in New York City. I love the churches in that area, and so I'm glad we can have this short conference together of two messages. Well, let's uh, look at the general subject together. The general subject is being obedient to the heavenly vision of the eternal economy of God. Now, where we get this from, of course, our major text is Acts 26, 19, where Paul, this was the conclusion to Paul's testimony before King Agrippa, he ended it by saying, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So that means that he was obedient to the heavenly vision. And it doesn't say I was not disobedient to James. I was not disobedient to Peter. I was not disobedient to John. It wasn't any person said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Saints, uh, there's a prayer in me. I just pray that all of us would be able to say what Paul said. Now, um, let me just read to you um, Acts 26, 16 through 19, and you'll get a little bit of the context of this. And again, the title of this message is the recovery of the eternal economy of God. Now, saints, before I read these verses, let me say this. We have to realize what the word recovery, when we say recovery, sometimes we use it and we don't know, if someone asks you, what do you mean by recovery, the Lord's recovery, what do you mean by that? Well, we have to be able to tell people what we need, what we mean, even we have to we have to know what recovery means. So when we say the Lord's recovery, recovery means this. Recovery is a restoration or a return to a normal condition after a damage or a loss has been incurred. Now, throughout church history, there has been a lot of damage, a lot of loss, uh, of the divine revelation and the Holy Word concerning Christ and the church. But what has happened is the Lord has had a recovery. And this recovery, again, is a restoration or return to a normal condition after a damage or loss has been incurred. This is why we have books in our book room called The Normal Christian Life the normal Christian church life, the normal Christian faith. Why does Watchman Nee use the word normal? It's because his burden is to bring uh, the readers of those books back to a normal condition. What is the normal Christian life? What is the normal Christian church life? And what is the normal Christian faith? This is something of the Lord's recovery, of the Lord's recovery. And saints, I I would also add this. 
We have to realize an overcomer is a normal Christian. An overcomer is not a super Christian. A normal Christian is what a Christian should be according to the Holy Word of God. Now, uh, let's come to Acts 26, 16 through 19. These are the first verses uh, on your scripture reading. It says this, and this is the Lord speaking to Paul. He says, rise up and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a minister and a witness, both of the things in which you have seen me and of the things in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I send you to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the authority of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Then he says this, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Now, some of you that have been in the recovery for a while, I think you'll remember that we have a book called The Young People's Training. Message one, uh, of that particular book, Young People's Training, mainly covers uh, Acts 26, 18. And in that message, Brother Lee is so burdened that we would pray over this verse and say, Lord, open my eyes. How can we open other people's eyes if our eyes aren't open? So we have to personalize this verse in our prayer to the Lord. Lord, I did this today again. Lord, open my eyes. Turn me from darkness to light. Turn me from the authority of Satan to God. Lord, I do not want to be under Satan's authority in anything. I want to be under your authority, Lord. And I like to receive, Lord, a full, total, complete forgiveness of my sins. Now, of course, we've received the eternal forgiveness of our sins, When Paul is talking about the forgiveness of sins here, he's talking about the application of the eternal forgiveness of sins to our being so that our conscience can be cleansed in the precious blood of Christ to restore our full fellowship with the Lord. Then then again, you have, uh, we need to pray that. We need to pray, Lord, uh, I like to receive an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in you. God himself is our inheritance. We are, an, we, are, we are actually, we have received a sample of this inheritance, an earnest of this inheritance. When In the next age, in eternity future, we will re- receive the full inheritance of, of all that the triune God is, of everything that he has done, of everything that he is doing, and of everything that he will do. He is our inheritance. And it's among those who have been sanctified by faith in the Lord. So again, we need to pray, Lord, sanctify me. Don't just separate me unto yourself, but saturate me with yourself. That's what it means to be sanctified 
And I want to exercise my spirit of faith, according to 2 Corinthians 4.13, to have real living faith in you. Then the conclusion is, again, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Now, saints, in this chapter, I really like this. I don't have this verse listed here. But if you look at verse 22 later, Paul tells King Agrippa, he said, having obtained the help which is from God, I have stood unto this day, you know, to testify of the heavenly vision. Now, that word help, having obtained the help which is from God, actually means alliance, alliance. A-L-L-I-A-N-C-E, alliance. This meant that Paul was in a living alliance with God. The triune God was Paul's ally. And he received the triune God as his assistance in this alliance. So we need to pray, Lord, I want to receive you as my help. I want you to be my ally. I want to receive you as my assistance in this alliance so that I can open up the heavenly vision of the eternal economy of God to everyone. Now, uh, saints, before we get into the outline, I would just like to recommend this book to you. It's called The Vision of the Age. And saints, I, I'm so burdened. And I realize I don't have that much time, but I, I would encourage you to read this book prayerfully. I would tell all the responsible brothers and all the saints, even if you've read it, read it again. You know, I had to bring a new version with me because my old version is falling apart because I've gotten into it so much. And... uh just to let you know, the new version has a different page sequence. So I, I will tell you some, about the pages from this newest version. Now, I'd just like to read a little bit to you from pages 49 and 50 of this book, which is very pertinent. The heading says, Closely Following the Completed Vision of This Age. And then our brother says this, he says, The Lord's recovery was brought to us through our dear brother Nee. Because of this, he became a target of attack. In 1934, he was married in Hang Chow. Some took this opportunity to stir up a storm. He became very sad. So one day I went to him to comfort him. Now, Saints, I want you to consider, what could you say? to comfort Watchman Nee. I wouldn't know what to say. But here's what Brother Lee said. He said, Brother Nee, you know that between the two of us, there is no natural relationship. I do not take the way that you are taking or preach what you are preaching out of a natural friendship with you. The two of us are widely separated from one another. I am a northerner and you are a Southerner. Today, I'm taking the same pathway, not because I am following you as a person. I am following the way that you are taking. 
Brother Nee, and I, we all need to be able to say this, Brother Nee, or you, you put in any brother's name, I would like you to know that even if one day you do not take this way, I will still take this way. I said this because the storm affected some, and they decided not to take this way anymore. In other words, many people were following a man. When the man seemed, I emphasize the word seemed, to have changed, because Brother Nee actually didn't change, but to the, to the ones who left, it says when the man seemed to have changed, they turned away. But I told Brother Nee, even if one day you do not take this way, I will still take this way. I am not taking this way because of you. This is important. I'm not taking this way because of you, and I will not leave this way because of you. I have seen that this is the Lord's way. I have seen the vision. I have seen the vision. Saints, we all need to be able to say this. You know, uh, Brother Ricky, I've opened up a little bit to Brother Ricky about this. I'm very, very concerned about this, saints, because uh, I've seen people pass through the FTTA here, and then maybe years later, they're gone. They're gone. Why are they gone? Because they never really received the heavenly vision of the eternal economy of God, which is the vision of the age, which is the Lord's recovery. It's the recovery of the eternal economy of God. They never received an actual vision of the Lord's recovery. And so they left. And then I see other saints who are, and Ricky knows a certain situation I'm talking about, who, you know, because a certain prominent one in that area, he may have done some inappropriate things, and he's not around anymore, and they got affected. And surely, uh, sometimes we get wounded or offended in the church. That's normal. We need to take the Lord as our forgiving life to forgive people, and uh, we need to uh, ask for the Lord's forgiveness, but we shouldn't leave this way. We don't take this way because of any person. And we don't leave this way because of any person because we are following the heavenly vision of the eternal economy of God in the Lord's up-to-date recovery. Saints, I'm very, very concerned that um, saints, you, listen, I would just say this. I told uh, some of the trainees, I said, when you leave this training, you will be offended. You'll be offended by someone or something. You know, one time Brother Lee said, if you've never been offended in the church life, you must be a marble Mary. You know, a marble Mary. That means outside the Catholic cathedral, there's a statue of Mary. It's marble. That marble Mary never gets offended. Well, we are not a marble Mary. We're human beings. Brother Lee said, I've been offended. Of course, when you get offended, you need to take the Lord as your forgiving life to forgive the person who offended you. We need to do that all the time. But saints, 
We do not take this way because of any person. We do not leave this way because of any person, because we are following the heavenly vision of the eternal economy of God in the Lord's up-to-date recovery. And I cannot tell you how burdened I am about this, saints. I do not want any of us to have mere information about the Lord's recovery. I want all of us to have a colossal revelation of the Lord's recovery. Now, can you imagine what Brother Lee said here to Brother Nee was a great encouragement to Watchman Nee. That shows that they had no natural relationship at all. So, uh, you know, if you go to page 64 of this newest version, Brother Lee defines God's economy. He says God's economy is God's working himself through his divine trinity into man in order that man would enjoy the riches of Christ to become his members and be constituted into the body of Christ for the manifestation of the triune God. This is the central vision of God in the entire Bible, and this is the heavenly vision that the Apostle Paul was following, and we need to follow the same heavenly vision. Okay, now, uh, I encourage you to read uh, the rest of these verses in the Scripture reading. You know, 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 6, Paul says in these verses, he points out, I won't get into the whole details, but it's clear from these verses that the unique teaching in the New Testament is the teaching of God's eternal economy. We should not teach anything else other than God's eternal economy. Of course, we teach uh, uh, different details of the Christian life and the church life, but we always link it to God's eternal economy. You know, I've never been to one of Brother Ricky's uh, conferences with the parents related to the young people, but I have the full assurance that whatever he shares there is linked to God, that everything he shares is linked to God's eternal economy. And that that is wonderful. That is absolutely wonderful. All right, now... Um, I have 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 4 in here, because these verses, and again, I won't read them or get in detail, but it talks about our need to consent to healthy words. Those are words that are full of life and to uh, not to give heed to miss and unending genealogies which produce questionings. I'm sorry, that's 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 4, rather than God's economy, which is in faith. 1 Timothy 6, 3, sent to healthy words. That means we need to say amen to healthy words and the teaching which is according to godliness. What is that teaching? That is the teaching of the eternal economy of God. It produces godliness, which is God manifested in the flesh. Godliness is God-likeness. Godliness 
is Christ lived out through us for the corporate expression of the triune God. Now, uh, just one more set of verses, 2 Corinthians 11, 2 through 3. Paul says in verse 2 that he betrothed us to one husband to present us as a pure virgin to Christ. This relates to our loving the Lord. Saints, what a wonder it is and what a mercy it is that we have been brought under the unique New Testament ministry that ministers the unique teaching of God's eternal economy that brings us into a love relationship with the Lord as our husband. That's why if, saints, if you could do a search on your computer through all the life studies, through all the ministry of books, and just type in, Lord Jesus, I love you, and press the, press the button that searches for it, you, you'll see many, many, many portions that say, Lord Jesus, I love you. Because the genuine New Testament ministry stirs up your love for the Lord as, as your unique husband, as your unique husband. But in verse 3, Paul said he was concerned for the Corinthians that their thoughts would be corrupted from the simplicity and purity toward Christ. So we need to take care of our thoughts. Our thoughts are, you know, the way your spouse thinks about you affects her love for you. I'm talking to the husband now. Uh, The way your wife thinks about you affects her love for you. She should always think well of you. If she always thinks well of you, her love will be so much for you. She should always speak well of you. Same with the husband. Always speak well of your wife. Never uh, speak something. Oh, it's terrible for one spouse to speak something negative about another spouse. This is just terrible, terrible, terrible. That means your thoughts toward your spouse are corrupted. Well, saints, it's possible, if you look in 2 Corinthians, for us to have corrupted thoughts, that's 2 Corinthians 11, 3, for us to have hardened thoughts, that's 2 Corinthians 3, 14, for us to have blinded thoughts, that's 2 Corinthians 4, 4, or for us to have rebellious thoughts, that's 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Our thoughts are linked to our love for the Lord. Verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 11 is linked to verse 2. Being betrothed to one husband is linked to our thoughts concerning Christ as our husband. So again, saints, we need our thoughts renewed. We need our thoughts renewed every day. Now let's come to the outline. I I really like this outline, and we won't be able to read all the verses. I encourage you to read them later. And again, saints, with this outline, just pray short prayers over a number of these points. You don't have to pray long prayers. Pray short prayers and ask the Lord as the spirit of reality to guide you into the reality of what you're praying back to him. That's his function as the spirit of reality. According to John 16, he says the spirit of reality will guide you into all the reality. All right, now let's read Roman number one. It says, we must walk in the truth 
of the heavenly vision of God's eternal economy, of the mark of God's economy, and of the goal of God's eternal economy. This vision must be renewed in us day by day to be the controlling vision of all our life, work, and activity. I'd like to ask you, of course, you don't have to answer me or raise your hand, but just consider, has the vision of God's eternal economy been renewed in you before you came to this meeting? Has that vision been renewed in you? It should be renewed in us day by day. It's not a once-for-all thing. It has to be renewed in us day by day, and this vision of God's eternal economy should be the controlling vision of all of our life, all of our work, and all of our activity, and all of our activity. Of course, under this Proverbs 29, 18, says, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint, or the people run wild. If you don't have a vision uh, of God's eternal economy, you'll just be going every which way. There won't be any governing, controlling factor in your life. And that, to me, that, that is a terrible place to be in. Saints, I remember when I was regenerated, even before I was regenerated, my wife was, my wife who I met in college, I was not a Christian, she was a Christian, and I said, you know, why would I, why would I want to be a Christian and go to heaven? What am I going to do in heaven? You know, I would always say things to her that she couldn't answer. I said, what am I going to do in heaven for eternity? Am I going to play a harp for eternity? I may have said something like that. And she she couldn't answer me. She, you know, understandably so. But saints, I'm saying this because there are myriads of Christians who don't know why they're a Christian. As a Christian, they don't know what the goal of being a Christian is. They don't have the vision that a Christian should have. The vision that we should have is the vision of God's eternal economy, which is the triune God embodied in Christ, realized as the Spirit to dispense himself into our tripartite being, spirit, soul, and body, to make us exactly the same as he is for the building up of the body of Christ, the preparation of the bride of Christ, the ushering in of the kingdom of God, to turn this age to the age of a king of the kingdom of a thousand years. That thousand years is one day in God's sight. That one day is our wedding day. Eventually that will usher us into eternity where all of God's chosen and redeemed people will be his wife forever and ever. That is God's eternal economy. All right, now let's read under Roman number one. A says God's eternal economy is his plan to dispense himself into his chosen, predestinated, and redeemed people as their life, their life supply, and their everything to produce, constitute, and build up the organic body of Christ. Saying just in the way of application, we should have a prayer in this meeting. Lord Jesus, dispense yourself into me in this meeting. If we leave this meeting and we don't receive the Lord's 
divine dispensing, then the meeting meant nothing to us. We need him to, we need, when we wake up in the morning, the first thought we should have is, Lord, dispense yourself into me more and more today. And, uh, I want you to dispense yourself into me. I want you to have a way to flow out of me to dispense yourself into the ones whom I am caring for. That is God's economy. Now, for those of you who may be newer, you know the Greek word for economy is oikonomia. And that comes from two Greek words. Oikos means house or household. Nomos means law or administration. So God's oikonomia, God's economy, is his household administration. God has a household administration to do what? To dispense himself into our tripartite being, to make us exactly the same as he is in life and nature, but not in the Godhead for his glory in this universe, which is his corporate expression as the reality of the body of Christ, which consummates in our being the new Jerusalem. That is his eternal economy. Now let's come to B, the mark of God's eternal economy, the strategic and central point of God's eternal economy is the indwelling subjective Christ as the spirit in our spirit, our mingled spirit. You know, uh, when we would talk about the tripartite man, I don't know how the church in New York City uh, is doing in regards to this. I feel like here in Anaheim, where we might be a little bit behind because there, there is a large strata of saints who have come into the recovery that have never seen a lot of these things. And I remember when I first came into the Lord's recovery, the, the brothers who shared, they would invariably draw three circles on the board. The first circle, the inner circle, was our spirit. The second circle around our spirit was our soul. The third circle around our soul was our body. Spirit and soul and body. That's what 1 Thessalonians 5.23 tells us. So our spirit is the mark of God's eternal economy. Saints, whatever you do, take care of your mingled spirit. First of all, 2 Corinthians 3.17 says the Lord is the spirit. Then 2 Tim, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 3.17. Then 2 Timothy 4.22 says the Lord be with your spirit. Now, who is the Lord? The Lord is the Spirit. So Romans 8.16 says, the Spirit himself witnesses with our spirit. So you have the capital S spirit. You have our lowercase spirit. These two are mingled together. And 1 Corinthians 6.17 says that now we are joined to the Lord. And because we are joined to the Lord, We are one spirit, one spirit. That means the divine spirit has come into our human spirit. The divine spirit is mingled with our human spirit to become one mingled spirit. Saints, always 
pay attention to your spirit and take care of your spirit. Now, we'll talk about this under here. One says we must be narrowed down to and even zeroed in on the all-inclusive divine spirit and our human spirit that we may be kept from missing the mark of the divine economy. We don't want to miss the mark of the divine economy. You know, I like Malachi 2, 15, and 16. It says two times, take heed to your spirit. Take heed to your spirit. If you're making a decision about where to go to school, about anything, even about purchasing a car, take heed to your spirit. Do you have the peace in your spirit? Do you have the rest in your spirit? Do you feel bright within? Is the Lord flowing within you? That is to take heed to your spirit. If you feel if you feel dead within, if you feel dry within, if you feel dark within, that means you should not go that direction. Your spirit is telling you, don't go in that direction. Okay, in Romans 1 9, Paul said that he served God. He said, I serve in my spirit. Romans 8 6 charges us to set our mind on the spirit. What does it mean to set our mind on the spirit? It means to pay attention to our spirit. Okay, I'll just say that much. Let's come to two. Two says, in the blueprint of God's original intention, man is the center of the entire universe, and the center of man is his spirit. So Genesis 2.7 tells us Jehovah formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, that Hebrew word for breath is the Hebrew word neshama. Neshama. It's the same Hebrew word used in Proverbs 20.27. Proverbs 20.27 says the spirit of man is the lamp of Jehovah. That word for spirit in Proverbs 20.27 is neshama. The same Hebrew word for breath in Genesis 2.7. So, that word for breath in Genesis 2.7, when God breathed in the man's nostrils the breath of life, he was breathing into man, man's human spirit. He formed man from the dust of the ground. That's man's body. He breathed into man's nostrils, his spirit, the human spirit, and as a result of this, man became a living soul. And Proverbs 20, 27 says, it says that the spirit of man or the neshem of man is the lamp of Jehovah. Now let's look at A under 2. It says the heavens are for the earth, the earth is for man, and man was created by God with a spirit. For what reason? That he may contact God, receive God, contain God, worship God, live God, fulfill God's purpose for God, express God, and be one with God. Now, saints, this is from Zechariah 12, 1 mainly. Uh, this verse tells us that Jehovah stretched forth uh, the heavens. He laid, he laid the foundation of the earth, and he formed the spirit of man within him. What this shows is that the heavens, including all the stars, all the galaxies, the heavens 
are for the earth. The earth is for man, and man has a spirit which is exclusively for God. Why does man have a spirit? It's because God is spirit, according to John 4.24. God is spirit, and if we're going to worship him, we have to worship him in our spirit or with our spirit. That's a prepositional word in the Greek. Worship in spirit can also be translated worship with spirit. But anyway, we translate it worship in spirit, which is, is, is the, I feel that's the best translation, of course. But saints, isn't it wonderful that right now you can turn to your spirit and exercise your spirit to actually contact God? Now, why did you come to this meeting? I believe this is, a, this is an evening meeting. Why did you come? You didn't come to this meeting to see how I look on the video. You came to this meeting to contact God in your spirit. Saints, it's wonderful. We can exercise our spirit to contact God, to receive God, to contain God, to worship God, to live God, to fulfill God's purpose for God, to express God, and to be one with God. That is wonderful. Now, look at what B says. Without God being the Spirit, and without our having a Spirit to contain God, to be one with God, the whole universe is empty, and we are nothing. Saints, if we don't have a Spirit to contact God, who is the Spirit, to us, the whole universe is empty. What's the universe about? What is our purpose? What is man's purpose? It means that we're, we're nothing without having a spirit to contact God. You know, Ecclesiastes uh, shows us what it's like to live in the world without exercising your spirit. It begins in verse 2 by saying vanity of vanities twice. You can translate that. If you look in the Amplified Bible, it says vapor of vapors, futility of futilities, emptiness of emptinesses. Saints, if we don't exercise our spirit to contact God, who is the spirit in our spirit, all of human life is a vapor. All of human life is futility. All of human life is emptiness. I'm so glad that the next verse, the next book, doesn't begin with vanity of vanities. It begins with the, these words, the song of songs. Saints, when you begin to exercise your spirit to contact God, your Christian life and your church life will get changed from vanity of vanities to the song of songs. Your Christian life will become a musical a divine and mystical musical where you are enjoying the pneumatic Christ as your song of all songs. He is the song of songs. And saints, isn't it wonderful that in the church life, all of us are singers? You know, I don't have a choir behind me, and you don't have a choir behind you because we are the choir. We are the singers. Every, no matter how bad your voice is, 
you can make a joyful noise to the Lord. It doesn't say make a joyful harmony to the Lord. It says make a joyful noise to the Lord. You know, some brothers that I sit next to, their voice is so wonderful. They could be opera singers. Another brother that I sit next to, he's tone deaf. So he sings at the same tone in everything. But either, either voice makes God happy because all that God wants to hear is a joyful noise to the Lord. Then we exercise our spirit to sing to the Lord, especially our life becomes the song of songs. Now let's come to three. Three says Christ as the life-giving spirit can be everything to us when we live in and exercise our spirit. To live in our soul is to live in the principle of Antichrist. Now, you you may be surprised at this statement, but saints, when we live in and exercise our spirit, we are enjoying automatically Christ as the life-giving spirit. We we touch him as the life-giving spirit. We get filled with him as the life-giving spirit. He comes into function as the life-giving spirit to to not not only is our spirit life, but that life-giving spirit in our spirit gives life to our mind, our emotion, our will, even our mortal body. But, saints, if we neglect our spirit and live in our soul, our soul is composed of our mind, emotion, and will. Now, that this does not mean that we neglect our soul, but we have to primarily exercise our spirit. When we exercise our spirit, the Lord as the life-giving spirit will spread out from our spirit into our soul to give us the mind of Christ, to give us the feelings of Christ, and to impart into us the intents of Christ. But do not neglect your spirit and just live in your soul, live in your mind, and live apart from your spirit. If you do this, you will be in the principle of Antichrist. Now, what is that principle? Firstly, saints, let me let me mention this in the way of definition. The name Christ means that means God's anointed one to carry out God's commission. That's what Christ means. He is the anointed one of God to carry out God's commission. What is God's commission to him? It's for him to give life to us. He gives life to our spirit. That's why Romans 8.10 says our spirit is life. Then he gives life to our mind. Romans 8.6 says the mind settled in the spirit is life. Then he gives life to our mortal body. Verse 11 says the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from among the dead, if you allow him to indwell you, he will give life to your mortal body. Now, of course, that implies to our our glorification, that applies to our glorification, but it also applies to our present experience as a foretaste. I hope that after this meeting, you get life uh, injected into your mortal body and you go out of this meeting stronger, even stronger physically than you came into this meeting. We don't want to be in the principle of Antichrist. 
Now, I'll just take this, this uh, first part of this word, anti. Anti means against or instead of. So antichrist means against Christ, or antichrist means instead of Christ. Now, to live in the principle of antichrist means that you live in the principle of not only being against Christ, but you live in the principle of being instead of Christ. Because you live in your mind, emotion, and will, and you neglect your spirit, you neglect the life-giving spirit, mingle with your spirit, you, you are living, I mean, you are living apart from Christ in the principle of antichrist. You are instead of Christ. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. He didn't say for me to live is Paul. So we don't want to live in the principle of Antichrist. Now let's come to four. The Lord's recovery is the recovery of the oneness in our spirit. To be in our spirit is to be in Jerusalem, the place of simplicity and oneness. Whereas to be in our mind is to be in Babylon, the place of confusion and division. Saints, we can pray a simple prayer, and this means a lot. We can, maybe we're enjoying the Lord right now, or we're, in, we're, I hope that every morning we touch the Lord, we enjoy the Lord by exercising our spirit to contact Him in the Word. And saints, you know, when, when we're done with our set time with the Lord in the morning, we should have a prayer, Lord, keep me in my spirit this whole day long. Keep me in my spirit. Keep me in the place of simplicity and oneness. When you're in your mind and you neglect your spirit, you're in confusion and division. Now, let's come to five. Uh, okay, I will just preface this in this way. What country do you want to live in? Of course, the country we're in right now is the United States. But I'm talking about another kind of country. Listen to this. Our spirit is a country of grace. That's the country we want to live in. And grace is God in Christ as the spirit for our enjoyment. Saints, God wants us to enjoy him. Every day, make a simple consecration to the Lord. Say, Lord Jesus, I give myself to you today simply to enjoy you. So our spirit is a country of grace to swallow up race for the one new man. Now, Galatians 6.18 says the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is with our spirit. 2 Timothy 4.22 says the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. So our spirit is a country of grace Saints, when we are enjoying the triune God, experience him as grace, that grace swallows up race for the one new man. Saints, in the church life, we don't even have a consciousness of race. Uh, I, I hope that Brother Marvin is there in this meeting, maybe at home. I don't know where he is, but I love Brother Marvin. He passed through the FTTA here, and Marvin doesn't look at me and have any notion of race with me, neither do I look at him with any 
notion of race. I remember the first time that I met Marvin after a Wednesday night ministry meeting. Now he's solidly in the Lord's recovery. Why? Because he is a person who enjoys the Lord. And because he enjoys the Lord, when he looks at me, he doesn't see anything racial. He just sees a brother in Christ who loves the Lord, who enjoys the Lord, who ministers the Lord. He sees a member of Christ who functions for the Lord, and he sees a constituent of the body of Christ as the one new man. Now, this goes on to say our mind is a country of quarreling. Saints, when we're in our mind and we neglect our spirit, that's when we quarrel with one another. To enjoy the Lord as the spirit being in our spirit is to have grace with us. When this is lost, the degradation of the church is present. Now, let's come to see the goal of God's eternal economy is the reality of the organic body of Christ consummating in the new Jerusalem. You know, Ephesians 1, uh, if you look at this whole chapter, especially if you look at Ephesians 1, 19 through 23, verse 1 tells us that verse 17, uh, Paul prays that the Ephesians would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And we need to pray that. And then verse 19, Paul says that they may know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Saints, Christ as the life-giving spirit is the surpassingly great power of the trying God toward us who believe, who believe. Now, another portion that shows us this is when you come to the end of Ephesians 1, in verse 22, it says, he is head over all things to the church. That little word to implies there is a divine and mystical transmission of Christ as the great power of the triune God into our being. So what kind of power does Ephesians 1, 19 through 23 talk about? If you, if you read it closely, it talks about resurrecting power, ascending power, subjecting power, and heading up power. Saints, we need to open to the Lord, open our being to him without any condition, any reservation, and say, Lord, dispense yourself into me, Today, even in this meeting, as resurrecting power, as ascending power, as subjecting power, and as heading up power, to be head over all things to me as a member of the church, which is your body, which is your body. Now, let's come to one under C. One says, without the local churches, there is no practical expression of the body of Christ and there can be no reality of the body of Christ. Saints, praise the Lord for the local churches. Revelation 1, uh, especially 10, uh, 10 and 11, show us that the, the churches in the early church was one church for one city and one city with only one church. 
Firstly, in a universal sense, there's only one church in this universe. There's only one body of Christ. Well, how do we meet to express that one body of Christ? We meet as the church. We don't we don't have a we we don't have a description of, of who of who we are. We don't have a descriptor, uh, like a denominational uh, descriptor. We are the church. We are just when we say we are the church in New York City, we are ma- we are merely telling people who we are, who we are. We are the church. We happen to be in New York City, so we are the church in New York City. It's just like the moon. Let's say that I don't know what the moon's going to be like tonight, but let's say it's a full moon. You can look at it in New York City, and you can look up at it. You can say, wow, this is the moon in New York City. I can look at that same moon here in Anaheim, and I can say, wow, this is the moon in Anaheim. Saints, it's the same moon. It is just manifested and expressed in different cities. So the way the universal church is expressed, the universal church is signified by that one moon, and the local church is signified by, means the appearance and manifestation of that one church is in cities. So there is the church in Anaheim. There is the church, the moon in New York City. There is one church for one city and one city with only one church as the expression, as the local expressions of the unique body of Christ. Now, Chu goes on to say, God's eternal economy is to obtain the body of Christ. Any work outside of this is not on the central lane of God's eternal economy. Now, let's come to three. We must follow the footsteps of the Apostle Paul to bring all the saints into the blending life of the entire body of Christ. Now, saints, we are, I think, those of us who have been in the recovery a long time, who were with Brother Lee uh, during his ministry, at the end of his ministry, this was something new. We have, verse, we have a book called Practical Points Concerning Blending. You know, I edited that book, and uh, I remember Brother Lee asking me and another brother to go to London to share the contents of that book with the saints in England and, and Europe, whoever came to that conference, on the plane. I was fellowshipping with this brother. Brother, what is the intrinsic significance of blending? Listen, blending is not an outward matter. Blending is a divine and mystical matter. Now, let me go on Go on to say there's a physical aspect to it but there's an invisible reality to blending. Now, praise the Lord, I think all of you in New York City can testify that in the last five to eight years or whatever, you have been brought more and more 
into the blending life of the entire body of Christ. At least, I, I still remember when I first visited the church in New York City, I was so thrilled. It was such a privilege for me because it was the first time I really got to blend with the saints in the church in New York City. That was a great privilege to me. Now, saints, I don't. I have 1 Corinthians 12, 24 here because this verse says God has blended the body together. Now, I should have put verse 25 on here because here's what verse 25 says. Let me read it with this phrase in verse 24. God has blended the body together that there would be no division in the body. Why does God blend the body together? It's so that there would be no division in the body. And what does it mean practically to be blended together? Here's what it means. Uh, It means, I'll, I'll say two ways. First way I'll say is this. If you're serving the Lord in a group, whether it's a vital group or a, a group of brothers to, to carry out a certain commission from the Lord, a group of sisters, um, you should always, before you do anything, always fellowship, always stop before you're about to do anything, and fellowship with the saints whom you are coordinating with. If you don't stop the fellowship, you are not in the blending. Saints, always stop. When you're about to do something, and I'm saying this with a lot of experience, you know, uh, I've seen very talented brothers, very, very good brothers, and I'm not condemning them at all, but they're so... uh, gifted, that it is so easy for them to go way ahead, uh, way ahead of the coordination, which is, I think that all of us as co-workers, we've learned, don't go way ahead. Stop. Stop to fellowship with the brothers whom you're coordinating with. And when you fellowship with those brothers, You need to do everything through the cross and by the Spirit to dispense Christ into those saints or brothers for the sake of the body of Christ. That is not a slogan or a saying. That is something very real. Saints, always pray before you come to a meeting, before the elders come together. The elders should, each of them should have a prayer. Lord, I want to pass through the cross in this meeting. I want to do everything in this meeting. Say everything in this meeting by the Spirit. Not only that, Lord, everything I say in this elders' meeting, I want it to be a dispensing of Christ into the brothers. You know, we don't think about that when we coordinate together. Sometimes we just think, oh, let's, we have all these things to do. Let's just get the business over with. No. Your main thing is to dispense Christ into the ones you're coordinating with. And why do you do this? You do this for the sake of the building up of the body of Christ. Of course, things get carried out, but they get carried out in the purest way possible, through the cross 
by the Spirit to dispense Christ for the building up of the body of Christ. And this is the way the mingling takes place. According to Leviticus 2, 4, and 5, it talks about the meal offering being composed of fine flour mingled with oil. That mingling is the blending. Saints, we need to pray, Lord, mingle me with fresh oil today and mingle the saints who I'm coordinating with. with. Mingle us all with a fresh spirit today. That is blending. So how did Paul do this in Romans 16? He did this mainly by greetings. He greeted this person. He greeted that person. He greeted this church. He greeted that church. And by doing that, you know, the Romans who, who read this, they, you know, uh, Paul said, I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. You know, right away, the saints of Rome read this, and they say, oh, Phoebe. They get reminded of Phoebe. And then uh, uh, he goes on to say, greet Eponidas, greet Mary, greet Andronicus, greet Junia, greet Ampliatus, greet Urbanus, greet Apellus, etc., etc. He knew all the names of the, of the saints in the church in Rome. By greeting them, he blended them together. He even ends in this way. He says, all the churches of Christ greet you. I would say, I would say by faith, to, to you saints who are watching this, especially on the East Coast, all the churches of Christ greet you. I think Brother Ricky and Brother Dennis can remember this. I, I hope you remember this. You know, the first time that I had a meeting with the saints in the church in New York City was after a college conference. And uh, I forget what year it was. Ricky would know. And I had a meeting with the serving one. The first thing that I said was this. I said, saints, I want to let all of you know that all of the co-workers love the church in New York City. I was so happy to say that. You know, when I said that, I looked at a number of the saints and there were tears. There were tears streaming down their face because I don't know what that full reason was. But I just wanted them to realize that all of us co-workers, we love the church in New York City. And, and, and Ricky knows, especially Andrew, you and I, love the church there to the uttermost. I miss, I miss Andrew so much, even though it hasn't been long. Uh, and I know you miss him also. He cared for the church in New York City. It was just amazing how he cared for the church there. All right, now, let's go to four. I have to go quicker. For the Lord's recovery in this age, we must cooperate with the Lord to be the overcomers, as today's Zion, in today's Jerusalem, which typifies the church life, for the building up of the body of Christ to consummate the new Jerusalem. Saints, when the children of Israel got released from Babylon to go back to the good land, and to return to Jerusalem, that was not their goal. Their goal was to build the temple on Mount Zion. If they had been satisfied with just being in Jerusalem, they would not have attained God's goal. 
Now, Jerusalem signifies the church life. Now, saints, I will make this statement. It's one thing to be in the church life. It's another thing to be an overcomer in the church life. An overcomer is signified as a constituent of Zion within Jerusalem. Now, saints, this is very encouraging to me. I've got these verses listed here in Revelation 3. Uh, I'll just mention verse 21. Uh, the Lord says, uh, through the messenger uh, to the church in Laodicea, he says, he who overcomes, him I will give to sit with me on my throne. Listen to this. As I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. I like to zero in on these words. As I also overcame. What that means is Christ is the unique capital O overcomer. And this capital O overcomer is in our spirit. He's the only one who can be an overcomer. Saint, the only one who can be an overcomer is Christ as the life-giving, sevenfold intensified spirit in our spirit. Only he can be an overcomer. That's why we need to exercise our spirit to contact him, to experience him, to enjoy him, and to live him out, to let him live through us. Then we will be his duplication as an overcomer. Now, I'll just skip down to the last verse here, Judges 5.31. I love this. This is the song of Deborah. Deborah says this, May those who love him be like the sun when it rises in its might. That matches Matthew 13.43, where the Lord says concerning the overcomers that they will shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Saints, we need to say, Lord, constrain me with your love. I want to love you with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, even all my physical strength, so that out of your infusing me with yourself as the love of God, I want to love you with that very love, so that I become like the sun when it rises in its might. Now, let's come to D. D says teachings that differ from the unique and healthy teaching of God's eternal economy, the teaching of the apostles, separate us from the genuine appreciation, love, and enjoyment of the precious person of the Lord Jesus Christ himself as our life and our everything. E says, today we can be in one accord because we have only one vision, the vision of the eternal economy of God. And saints, this vision of the eternal economy of God encompasses everything in the Bible from Genesis 1 through Revelation 22. The vision of the eternal economy of God includes all 66 books of the Bible. The New Testament shows us the reality of God's eternal economy. The Old Testament shows us the typology of that reality the pictures of that reality 
of God's eternal economy. So this, this is something that's really wonderful. Now let's come to Roman numeral two. God's eternal economy was unveiled through the apostles, but because the believers lost the proper understanding of God's eternal economy, there is the need for it to be recovered by the Lord. A says, the words recovery and economy refer to one thing as seen from two different viewpoints. Have you ever considered this? I don't think many of us have considered this. Let me read on. With God, it is a matter of economy. With us, it is a matter of recovering. B says, recovery means to go back to the beginning. We need to go back to the beginning. Receiving the Lord's grace to go back to God's original intention to what God ordained in the beginning. Now, C says, there is a strong and solid principle that whenever the majority of the people of God fail to carry out God's purpose, God comes in to have a recovery. His recovery is always with the minority, with a remnant of overcomers, not with the majority. That is just a principle of God, of the Lord's recovery. You can see this throughout the Bible, and you can see this throughout church history. If you look at the book of Ezra, and you look at the genealogies there, and you compute everything, listen, there were hundreds of thousands of Jews that were brought into captivity in Babylon. Only about 43,000 of them returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. The whole population of Jews should have come. Why didn't they? Because the principle of God's recovery is with a minority, is with a minority. Now, D says, our vision should be governed not by the present situation, nor by traditional practice, but by God's original intention and standard as revealed in the scriptures according to the present advance of his recovery. Now, saints, I want you to get these next three points. These next three points tell us in a practical way, in a more practical way, what the Lord's recovery is. And it's exactly the opposite of Satan's strategy. We have a booklet called Satan's Strategy Against the Church. If you read that booklet, you will see that the Lord's recovery is exactly the opposite of Satan's strategy. Pray over these three items to get them into you. One says the Lord's recovery is the recovery of Christ as our center, reality, life, and everything. We need to pray, Lord, be my center, reality, life, and everything today. What is Satan's strategy against the church? It's to bring in substitutes for Christ. Now, what's the second aspect of the Lord's recovery? Two says the Lord's recovery is the recovery of the oneness of the body of Christ. That is a great recovery, to recover the oneness of the body of Christ. This is why we meet as the church in New York City, as the church in Anaheim. The reason why we meet as the church uh, 
the reason why we meet on the ground of the church is so that we can love all the brothers. We have made the choice to love all the brothers on this earth. All the brothers and sisters on this earth, we have made the choice to love them because we're in the same body. There's only one body. There's only one church universally. And we, to practice that, we meet as a local expression of that one universal church. We are the local expressions of the one universal church, the one body. So, the Lord's recovery is the recovery of the oneness of the body of Christ. The Lord prayed for this in John 17. And we are here in the Lord's recovery to bring in an answer to the Lord's prayer in John 17. Now, now, now saints, just consider number two. What do we have out there? And I, I'm not being critical of our dear brothers and sisters. We just, it's just the Lord's mercy that we've been shown this. But saints, let me give you an example. In this book, is there anything in here that talks about Southern Baptists? There's nothing in there. I love all the brothers that meet in that way, but I will tell you, John the Baptist was not a Southern Baptist. He was a baptizer. Um, there's no such thing as denominations in the Holy Scriptures. You know, denominations is from the Latin. Day means of. Nomination means name. It means you're of a certain name. Saints, we only take one name. We take the name of our husband. The name of our husband is Christ. On this basis, we can say the church as a whole is Mrs. Christ. Mrs. Christ. He is our husband. We just take his name. No other name. Now, the third aspect of the Lord's recovery is in three the Lord's recovery is the recovery of the function of all the members of the body of Christ. So the Lord's recovery is the function is the recovery of your function, of all of our function. This is why Ephesians 4, 15 through 16 shows us that when all the parts operate of the body, when all the joints of the body are supplying the body. It says all the body causes the growth of the body under the building up of itself in love. So it's by the operating parts and by the supplying joints that all the body causes the growth of the body. Now we know in Matthew 16, 18, the Lord said, I will build my church. But when you come to 1 Corinthians 14, 4b, it says he who prophesies builds up the church. That's very practical. This one in Matthew 16, 18, who said, I will build my church. He went through a process. He became the life-giving spirit. He is now in our spirit. How does he build up the church? He builds up the church by our speaking him forth, by our speaking him into one another. When we speak him forth, we speak him into one another, we are prophesying. And when we do that, 
Uh, we are building up the church. Verse 31 of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians says, you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. For you to prophesy means that you have to learn something first. For you to prophesy means that you have to be encouraged by the Lord first. So we have to learn Christ. We have to enjoy Christ as our encouragement. Then when we prophesy, people learn Christ and they are encouraged with Christ. Okay, now now we'll come to E. We in the Lord's recovery must have a clear vision of God's eternal economy and then be governed, controlled, and directed by this vision for we are here to carry out God's eternal economy in his recovery. Then finally, Roman numeral three, it's a good realization to have. In order to realize the recovery of the Lord for the carrying out of the eternal economy of God, we must stay away from death and division. A says, we must stay away from death and be swallowed up by Christ as life. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 4. Everything in the church must be in the nature of life, with the content of life, and in the flow and imparting of life. Again, I don't have the time. Read all these verses in a spirit and atmosphere of prayer. You'll see a lot more. B says we must reject any kind of division. Stand against any wind of teaching. Now, what is a wind of teaching? A wind of teaching is any teaching other than the teaching of God's eternal economy. A wind of teaching is a teaching that blows you away from the central lane of God's eternal economy and the composition of God's eternal economy is Christ as the mystery of God and the church as the mystery of Christ. So the wind of teaching, it could even be something scriptural. You know, the presbytery, for instance, is scriptural. Presbytery means uh, the eldership, a group of elders. That's scriptural. But you can't form a denomination around that scriptural teaching. If you do, that has become a wind of teaching. All right, now let me go on. And then it says, uh, stand against any wind of teaching and any spreading of spiritual death and mark and turn away from those who make divisions and causes of stumbling contrary to the teaching of God's eternal economy. You know, in Romans 14, Paul was very liberal. He said, we need to receive all the Christians. Of course we do. But there are certain ones who All they want to do is make divisions. All they want to do is stumble believers. You have to turn away from people like this. Now, C says, Leviticus reveals that the first thing we as God's priests need to deal with is our listening, our moving feet, and our working hands are always under the direction of our hearing. So for the priest and the leper to be cleansed, especially I'll come to the leper. The leper was cleansed by putting blood on the right lobe of his ear, by placing blood on the right 
big thumb of his right hand and by placing blood on his his right foot, the big toe of his right foot. Well, after he did that, he had to apply the oil or the ointment to that to that blood that he applied. So that's why we have a hymn that begins this way: first the blood and then the ointment. That's our experience every time when we confess our sins. The blood cleanses us, and then we enjoy the fresh oil of the Spirit of the Triune God. Now, saints, why does the ear come first? Because that relates to our listening and our moving, which is symbolized by our feet, and our working, which is symbolized by our hands, are always under the direction of our hearing. Now, let, I'll read one through four just in a straight way. If we do not take care of our hearing, but give ear, ear to negative speaking, our deeds and our work will be affected in a negative way. If any church would stop hearing negative things, that church would be very healthy and living. The church that is the weakest and the most deadened is the one full of criticism gossip, and reasoning. Because we often hear unclean things, things that are unhealthy and contagious, we need to wash our ears with the blood of Christ. After the washing of the blood, we will enjoy the anointing of the Spirit. Finally, 4 says, positive listening will rescue us from negative listening. If we listen to God's Word, From morning to evening, we will not have an ear to listen to any negative speaking. You know, saints, when I first came into the church in Houston, there was this brother in the tape room. That's when we had cassette tapes. He just wanted everyone to listen to what the ministry had to say. Whenever I would go in there, he'd say, Ed, listen to this tape. Well, one time I got a tape of... uh, of Brother Lee's sharing, it's a, it's a chapter in the autobiography of a person in the spirit, and it's the chapter of being made a captive of Christ. And in that message, Brother Lee said, all of us need to pray this prayer. Lord, conquer me. Make me your captive. Never let me win. Defeat me all the time. I tell you, I was on a major freeway. It was like a parking lot. When Brother Lee prayed that prayer, said we should pray that, I turned the cassette tape off. I prayed that prayer. And I'm telling you, saints, that revolutionized my life right on that freeway. Listen to the word. You know, my wife, she loves those song tapes that are put out by New York City. When I come to the car for her to drive me somewhere, invariably, there's a song tape on. I said, who's singing that? She said, oh, saints in New York City are singing that. It makes me very happy. Okay, D says, in order to enjoy Christ as our meal offering, to live a meal offering church life, we must be purified from any leaven, which can be ambition for leadership, and honey, which can be natural affection. One says ambition and natural affection go together. A person who is ambitious 
will love anyone who helps him to gain what he desires, but whoever hinders him from fulfilling his ambition will be regarded as his enemy. Two says, we should neither take the way of the Lord's recovery nor leave this way because of any person. We are following the vision of God's eternal economy in the realization of the Lord's recovery. Now we come to E. E says for us to live a holy life, for the church life, we must be careful about the kind of people we contact. In Leviticus 11, all the animals signify different kinds of people, and eating signifies our contacting of people. I encourage you to read about the first 10 verses of Leviticus 11. Read the notes. It's very, very clear. You can read these notes I have from Acts 10. You know, Paul went to the house of Cornelius. He was a Gentile. He was a centurion. And um, anyway, Cornelius uh, sent some men to where Peter was staying. Peter was praying on the rooftop. And he his praying brought him into a trance. And in that trance, he saw a great sheet being lowered down from the heavens with all kinds of unclean animals in it. And the voice, which was the Lord's voice, it says, rise up, Peter, slay and eat. And Peter said to the Lord, he said, Lord, you know that I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Now, this happened three times. Peter said the same thing. Then there was a knock on the door. And Peter so said, Peter, there are some men here to see you. He went to these men. They said they wanted him to go to Cornelius' house. They talked to him about how a wonderful person he was related to building their synagogue, how he was a seeker of God. So Peter went with them. And Peter began to speak to them. Um, You know, in Acts 10, he said, you understand, he told him, that it is unlawful for a man who is a Jew to join himself to or come near one of, to someone of another race. Listen to this. Yet God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Where did God show him that? He showed him that on that rooftop because all of those unclean, clean animals to Peter actually signified people. They signified the Gentiles. What God was saying to him, any person who has been cleansed with the blood of Christ is no longer unclean. He is now clean in my sight. And saints, when we contact people, what does it mean to eat something? It means you contact something outside of you, and you take that into you so that it becomes your inner constitution. This is what one says. It says to eat is to contact things outside of us and receive them into us with the result that they eventually become our inner constitution. Whatever we contact, we will receive, and whatever we receive will reconstitute us 
making us different persons from what we are now. Now, not only do we have to eat God's words, according to Jeremiah 15, 16, his words are spirit and life. We find his words, we eat them. This is the way we eat him as our spiritual food. We also eat Christ as our spiritual food by the kinds of persons we contact. Uh, Because the kind of persons we contact will be the kind of persons we become. Now look at two. Two says, do not be deceived. Evil companionships corrupt good morals. This is why we're always concerned about our young people's companions. Look at three. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be troubled. Now, if you want to be wise, just walk with Brother Dennis Cooley. Dennis Cooley is a wise man. If you walk with him, you will become wise. So, if you walk with wise men, you'll be wise. Don't walk with fools. Fools are people who don't live in the reality of the eternal economy of God and don't walk in the vision of the eternal economy of God. Now, finally, let's come to four. Paul says, avoid profane, vain babblings, for they will advance to more ungodliness, and their word will spread like gangrene, of whom are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have misaimed. But flee, I like this, flee, you lust, and pursue. And it has all these items we should pursue. Actually, this is to pursue Christ in different aspects. Pursue Christ as righteousness, faith, love, peace. And I love these next two words, with those. Saints, tonight we are with those. To be with those is a great thing. Flee and pursue Christ with those. With Who are those? Those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Thank the Lord we can be with those. Saints, this is the recovery of the eternal economy of God, and this is what it means to be obedient to the heavenly vision of the eternal economy economy of God. Now, I would ask you to forgive me again. I went over time. Uh, oh, the brothers still love me. Uh, actually, I did a lot better than what I've been doing in the past, but I, I, I will do my best in the next message to be much shorter than this. But I hope, I hope you stayed with me throughout this message. Take this outline in a spirit an atmosphere of prayer, and it will become, the verses in it, especially, will become your reality. Okay, I'll stop here. Now we can have some testimonies. Praise the Lord, saints.